electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the kickoff to earnings season. The banks deliver some upside surprises. Between that and a flurry of economic data, there is much today for our investment committee to debate this hour. Joining us on this Friday, Josh Brown, Stephanie Link, Jason Snipe. And Bill Baruch, let's check the markets, see what we're doing right now. We are in the red across the board. Now, a lot of the Dow's loss, you see it's down about 200. That's due to Boeing, United Health, and we are going to get into all of that. Josh, I feel like you got a lot of cross currents, though, today. You got the retail sales miss. You put that against J.P. Morgan and what some of the banks have delivered. You have a new background behind you. Nice flowers on this Friday. So that's, you know, just add that to the cross currents and things we need to discuss. But what do you make of of what you're dealing with today? Very nice. Very, very nice. My guy, it's 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 not very complex. What what would you like? Ask yourself, what would you prefer a blowout retail sales number? Like, is that what we want to have happen? So for me, I'm kind of looking at um, glass half empty as actually glass half full. And I think most of the market seems to be in that mode. We all understand that we're facing down an earnings recession. We all understand that the economic data is cooling. Um, We all understand that that's by design. And so this is really going to be a question in my mind for this year of which companies and which sectors can better withstand what we all see coming and which can't. And if you actually uh, decompose the stock market returns by factor this year, you find that it's high quality, um, you know, companies with secular growth that are withstanding it the best. And I don't really see why that would change as we go through what we're going to go through in the next three quarters of this year. So that's where we are right now. The winners are separating themselves from the losers. And the winners have a lot of commonalities that are very easy to see. You don't need to be a quant um, or, or to look at thousands of stocks. Just look at your, look at your quotes. Like, look at, look at your stocks, do an eye test, and you can see which names are holding up the best on days like today and which names are leading on green days like yesterday. You should have said hello, friends, when I came to you, because it looks like you are uh, at Augusta. The nice azaleas behind you <laughs> and everything. Amen Corner is uh, where we go when we go to Josh. But Stephanie Link, um, retail sales worse than expected. Still, like, not horrible. Sentiment higher than expected. One-year inflation expectations, though, high. And then you have Larry Fink a couple hours ago sitting right here on this set. Inflation is going to be stickier for longer. Um, And what cost from all of the things that you hear about from the Labenthal's of the world of onshoring? Yeah, great. At what cost? So what are we how are we assessing all this and what it means now for everything, the Fed and the market? The Fed is not done. 
after the data this week from the CPI at 5%, and that, by the way, included a double-digit decline in energy prices, which we now know our uh, energy prices are back to last November's levels. So the number next month likely goes higher, I think, right? So that is a problem. Core CPI X shelter also was stronger than expected. Retail sales, I take exception uh, to it being really a horrible number. Not that you said it was, but some people are. I said it are. wasn't. I said it yeah, wasn't there horrible. Are some, there I mean, are some it was people a, yeah, that are saying it's, it's terrible. I think you have to look at retail sales on a three-month average basis or a six-month, a little bit longer, mm -hmm. because it's so lumpy. And a three-month average, the last three months, retail sales rose 1.8%. The consumer's hanging in there for sure. The Atlanta Fed GDP now at 2.2%, that was jacked up higher. Yeah. And so the point being is inflation is still here. It is still sticky. Right. We all know that we've been talking about it. And so the Fed has probably has to continue to go. And I think that's why the markets are down, because people are a little uneasy that they're going to continue to raise in the face of a lot of other data that is slowing. We've talked about it very mixed. Right. So I think that's what's happening today. But I think what's really important, Scott, is we're in the eighth inning of higher rates, in my opinion, eighth or maybe even ninth. Right. But that doesn't mean I don't know. Even I mean, if they some get games five, go five, on to like way extra innings. It's not going into extra innings. Well, they may stay. It'll stay. They may stay. It'll stay. That's the thing. My point is, maybe we don't jack them up higher, much more high. Like maybe it's two more times, 25 each. But it's we're almost done. And then we're going to see what 5% or five and a quarter Fed funds does to the economy. We're already we know getting a whiff, right? We, I mean, we Larry are. Fink in the same breath says, I'm not expecting a big recession in the U.S. I'm not even sure we're going to have one in 23. Maybe early uh, 24 but when you you know you have inflation expectations you've got the consumer still still hanging in JP Morgan and we'll talk about the banks in a moment um, nothing that JP Morgan today said with their earnings makes you think that the economy is going off of a cliff and it's why you have Michael Faroli of JP Morgan saying doors still open for a June move Jason Snipe Waller Fed governor recent data show the Fed hasn't, quote, made much progress on inflation goal. Rates need to rise higher, still much too high. So my job is not done. That's what, what we're left with today. Yeah. So I, I'll, I'll say this, Scott. I mean, there's a couple of things for me. Obviously, core, and, and Steph just alluded to this, core is, is sticky. Mm -hmm. You know, still up 5.6% uh, year over year. Uh, the headline, 5% year over year, but the, the, the piece that, energy, that that staff mentioned that I think is important is the energy piece, right? So it was up double ditches, but we had a surprise cut with OPEC, and, and obviously oil prices are above 80 now. So that print will look very different next month, and I think that's, these are the types of numbers that, that the Fed is really focused on. So I do believe they'll move another 25 basis points in May. We'll see what goes on thereafter. We also are expecting... Uh, earnings to decrease another 6.6% this quarter. Mm -hmm. There potentially is some more dis some some more pullback in earnings going forward. So I think that's where the Fed is in. They're, they're this they're, they're they're in this interesting spot where higher for longer. How long, right? And the market's starting to look to price in 200 basis points of cuts. We'll see if that happens. This you know, one day, Bill obviously doesn't a earnings season make. But what if we find ourselves? in the midst of, as we get really into the heart of it, starting you know next week, once again saying, where's that earnings disaster? Yeah. Where's the earnings disaster that people have been calling for for the last 12 months? Yeah. Because at each of those reporting periods, it didn't really materialize. Now, it still might. It still might. But I wonder if we're gonna be sitting here saying Judge. that again and what that's going to mean. Hang on, hang on, let's get Bill in. 
and what that means for the idea that some are still putting forth of a soft landing. Yeah. Thanks, Judge. And I, I think you know what I've said in the past, where this, these earnings, I don't expect them to come down as what everybody's calling for. I remain fairly optimistic. And, and the banks today, they seem fairly optimistic. I mean, look at loan loss provisions. Even the credit utilization from J.P. Morgan was down. And everything was actually acting pretty well through the open. What really shocked markets today was, was the Michigan consumer inflation expectations for one year. 4.6 versus 3.7 they were expecting. That's definitely a shock. And that's a reminder that, that although we're, some of the data within inflation that we're seeing in CPI has come down, what people are really paying is, is still remaining elevated. Airfares have, have continued to elevate, and mm-hmm. people are booking those summer trips, and you're seeing, you're seeing those numbers higher. Now, I remain a little more optimistic about the CPI number itself, uh, despite the jump in energy. And even, even in Cleveland Fed, it was right now modeling after this inflation, um, the C, uh, crude jump, is still at fi- uh, 50 basis points or so, and 5.2 on the year over year. So there is, we're going to start to seeing higher base comparisons, too. Go back to March of last year, when Russia invaded Ukraine. That month-over-month jump was 1.2%. The high Highest going back to 2005. And then if you look at uh, June, only June of last year, 1.4 month over month was higher. So we're going to March to June of these higher base comparisons. Inflation is going to arbitrarily come down. But the Fed, like you pointed to, to Waller's comments, the Fed isn't backing down. They, they know if, if they back off at all, the, the market's reaction function is going to take it away from them. So it's, it's a very fickle spot right now. And the sentiment numbers that you're alluding to, yeah, I mean, they jumped up high in terms mm-hmm. of inflation expectations. Yeah. And that is directly because gasoline is now higher. Yeah. and. Yeah. Rents 100%. continue to be really high. They're not coming down. Oh, you're like booking people your expected. summer trip to Bill's point. So, you're like, exactly. where, where is the rollover right. in, in right. inflation that everybody right. keeps talking about? Josh, you wanted to say what? The rollover in inflation that everyone keeps talking about is that contrast uh, the PPI number this week for March 2023 with March 2022 when PPI rose by 11.7%. Like that's that's where the inflation rollover is. And to say that we haven't made progress on inflation, um, no, we obviously when have. clearly. All right. So let's let's put a pin in that. I want to address the 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 where's the earnings collapse. Nobody's calling for an earnings collapse. Like, look at look at uh, the top 20 Wall Street strategists, all the polls. Like, even, even the most bearish, and by the way, on balance, they were all bearish, um, but even the most bearish, nobody's calling for an earnings collapse. And there's a very good reason as, as to why. Inflation actually benefits revenue and, therefore, earnings. Like, companies are charging well, I mean, higher prices, therefore, hold on, you I'm don't stop get you for a collapse. One second. I'm, I'm going to stop you for one second, because there are a number of people, as a matter of fact, who are calling for another 10% decline in earnings to if you have a whiff of a, a soft recession that you Consensus get down is to 7%. 200 or, or, or 195, you're still at like 220. So there are plenty of people who still Consensus, expect cons- earnings to come down significantly enough from here. Well, who cares what consensus is? Okay. Consensus is often wrong. Okay. Well, that's, well, when you say, who cares what consensus is? Well, when you say there are plenty of people, consensus is taking into account the lowest estimates, the highest, the median, everyone in between. And that's, that's like where we get, quote unquote, the market's expectation. So that's why I'm saying what consensus is. And consensus is not calling for anything drastically negative on the earnings front. In fact, 
if you actually look at why there was so much bearishness on Wall Street going into this year, it was more about valuations still need to come down further um, than, than it was about any kind of collapse in earnings. So, and here's the second part of that. We're saying like, where is it? We had five companies report and three of them are banks and no other sector is going to benefit from net interest margin the way that banks did in the first quarter. Oh, of course, which is why I said one day doesn't an earnings else. season make. It's exactly right. why I said. And you're right. And, you're right. And, and it remains to be seen. However, there have been predictions each quarter that, oh, my God, earnings are going to be terrible. We're going to, it's just going to be bad, 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 they're bad. They're not good. And they really, they they're, haven't. They're, but they're, they're not, they're, they're not okay, horrible, but, though. They haven't been horrible. They haven't right. been horrible. I agree. I agree. They haven't been horrible. And J.P. Morgan, by the way, which I want to come to you on anyway, uh, shows you that. Now, amid you know dire predictions about what the banks were going to say, J.P. Morgan has uh, record revenue. The stock is up still more than 7%. Its biggest earnings gap higher, according to Bespoke, in 20 years. And it's at 7.5%. Josh, take on that. Because J.P. Morgan is Michael Jordan. And again, don't take what they managed to report this morning and try to extrapolate that out any further than J.P. Morgan. Um, Jamie Dimon is a professional. He is managing, this is professionally managed business. Not only is he managing the employees of the company and the customers, he's managing you, he's managing Wall Street, the media, he's managing Washington, D.C. This is how it's done. And, you know, for years, I'm in this stock and everyone's like, oh, well, Citigroup's cheaper. Well, have fun with Citigroup. There's a reason why you pay a slight premium to be in J.P. Morgan. And by the way, today is the biggest gap up uh, in reaction to earnings for this stock in more than 20 years. Really? So they tamped down expectations. There must be an echo in here. I'm glad you were listening to the way that I sent it to you by saying exactly <laughs> okay. that. Thank you. Listen, I, I'm just reiterating the very good point that you made. But I, I think you. the big picture here is that most companies, most companies, even in the banking sector, with net interest margin giving them this huge benefit, are not able to say something like this, which is that the guidance um, for, for, for the full year, net interest income now expected at $81 billion, and that is $7 billion better than the previous forecast of $74 billion. That's coming from the CFO. There aren't a lot of companies that are going to be guiding up in this environment. And, and, and it's A, because J.P. Morgan is who they are. They, they are him. But also the very peculiar circumstances of a situation where rates rose. They didn't blow up with long-term uh, long interest rate bets. They managed the balance sheet correctly. And if there is, in fact, any kind of cutting, um, of, of overnight rates at any point, even if it's not until the fourth quarter of this year, um, that is where you get that boost in guidance from. So this is a very specific situation. My hat is off to the company, and uh, I don't think that you'll see a lot of this in this quarter. Steph, um, you know, you could be in City and be happy today. You're up 4% there. You got Wells. Uh, Kramer thought it was a good quarter. Wells, I mean, the reaction in the stock is, is quite interesting. You bought more this morning. I did. Well, look, just on J.P. Morgan, it's clear they're, they're taking share, right, from the regionals. Absolutely clear. They would never be able to raise net interest income by that amount if they weren't. So that's clear. But I will say this. They did reiterate mid-70 billion in net interest income, medium term. So this is a short-term thing. Very happy for J.P. Morgan shareholders. That's great. But I don't think this, this is going to continue at this kind of a clip 
So I'd be careful there in terms of chasing. Um, Wells, I think the reaction is kind of silly to me because they reiterated net interest income. So by comparison, it doesn't look as good as JP, but I think they're being very conservative, right? And I think having 17% total revenue growth, 45% net interest income growth costs, which has been a big sticking point with this company. They've reiterated $50.2 billion for the full year. That's flat year over year. It's come a long, long way. All their capital levels are really good. So yeah, a 0.9 times book versus JP Morgan a 0.1.5 times book. I think there's a better value. And I also like the fact that they now reinstated the buyback and they bought $4 billion and they're going to be buying a heck of a lot more throughout the year. So I think that's your better value here. You know, But obviously, in full disclosure, I've owned this for a while, but I just think that the valuation here is very compelling. Okay. What about PNC, Jace? Um, another one that you know certainly didn't wow people in terms of what the stock's doing. Last I checked, it was down. Let's look at it again. You own it. How do you yeah. size this up? There, it's down about two percent. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, as it relates to PNC, I think you know the main driver for me is they have a very di- diversified deposit base. So you know a mix between retail and commercial commercial business. The other thing is there's been all this talk about CRE and a lot of concerns there. They only have 2.7% exposure there. To commercial real estate. To commercial real estate, which I think is important to note. Um, And their deposits have grown, you know, and I consider them a super regional. Obviously, all the hype around the the banking crisis and what happened about a month ago, they're a super regional. So they're taking, to to Steph's point, I mean, J.P. Morgan was a class of, of of the banking reports, but but I do believe PNC is taking some some business from some of the smaller regionals, and that's why I like all it. the big guys are. You got it. What 100%. do we take then, looking into next week uh, for Bill Baruch? Uh, you sold some Bank of America, yeah. right? Yep. A couple weeks back. Yep. You own Morgan Stanley. Yep. I, I would assume that if you own these stocks that are reporting next week, you must be feeling pretty good by virtue of what you got today from the big guys. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a great report, I think, from J.P. Morgan, and and you, I think you'll get some follow with with Bank of America. I. I didn't tie my entry into Bank of America very well, uh, so I cut it at the end of the quarter. Let's see how these earnings come out. I'm, I'm definitely encouraged. Uh, we really like Morgan Stanley, and we moved away from regional banks at the end of last year, worried about lending and worried about the mortgage space. Morgan Stanley doesn't have to worry about that. They're a juggernaut wealth management business. They don't. They they're not exposed to, to the lending business. As, you know, and their their any loans are you know very high net worth clientele. So I want to see how we get through this. I, I could I see myself potentially getting back into a J P Morgan or Bank of America to get that exposure and, and stay away from the regionals for for the time. The being. investment banking business at J P Morgan fell 19 percent. That was way better than expected. Some people thought it was going to be down Good 35 point. to 50 percent. Right. So that bodes really well for both Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley. Yeah. Um, how about United Health? Because we have ownership there, too. And we've talked about it almost every day this week leading up to today. Say, hey, don't forget about this other big company that is reporting on Friday along with the banks. And it is a weight today and a sizable one on the Dow. Dow's down 238, 239 as we speak. Jason, you own UNH. Yeah. So for me, as it, as it relates to UNH, uh, it's a beat on the EPS, beat on revenue. They're, they're a very consistent player in the space. I mean, there's 21 of the last 21 quarters they beat on EPS. Um, and for me, I also think they're as it relates to healthcare services, they're pristine. They're 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 the cream, the cream of the crop um, on that end. I think this has to do with the guide. You know, the guide was a little bit light going forward, and I think um, that's. 
part of a little bit of the pushback. And also, they've had a nice run over the last couple of weeks. I mean, they're the, they're the largest component of the XLV, and, and that's part of what's happening. So they're flat year to date. All right, Bill, you want it too? Yeah, I, I think he's made a, a good point with it. It was, it was rallied into, I think, they, they have a history of beating and, and, and raising. And maybe they didn't raise as much given the beat, and that's, but I like how they, they, they cross-sell their business. Their, their client acquisition has really stagnated, uh, but they've been able to grow revenues with that and cross-selling across their products. I, I really like this, and I'm actually excited to see it a little bit lower here because I, I see myself adding to this in this environment. Steph? Yeah, I Why mean, it, you it, UNH? I have in the past. I sold it. In the past Guess I don't what? Do now. I sold it because uh, it's been a great performer for the last three years. Yeah. I sold yeah. it. I bought GE Healthcare, which is up 40% this year because I like it better. So it's much bigger. But this is definitely on my radar screen. It's just run from 460 to 510. And all this company does is beat and raise. And so they, they didn't raise as much as people thought. I think that's absolutely silly. Optum is their fastest growing unit. It's 57% of total revenues. And it grew 25% year over year. And the medical loss ratio, I think everybody's freaked out about that. It was up 19 basis points. People thought it was going to be up much more than that. So I actually thought it was a very good quarter. If it pulls back, definitely on my radar. Okay. J&J, &J, you're looking at too? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think they get this talc sediment behind them. We can now focus on what they do really well, which is pharmaceuticals and medical tech, and they're going to spin out the consumer business. We can focus on fundamentals at that point. We got to get through May, and I think it's a good chance that they do settle, and that would be great news. Okay. Uh, we will take a quick break. When we come back, we have our chart of the day. The other big drag on the Dow today, I mentioned Boeing. Stephanie Link owns it. That, Josh Brown just bogeyed 11. He goes to the par 5 12th next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, Dow's down 220. One of the big reasons why our chart of the day. There it is. It's Boeing down 6%. After warning of reduced 737 MAX deliveries due to a parts issue, Stephanie Link owns this stock, which was off to such a nice start this year. <laughs> yes, it was. And if you put up a longer-term chart, you would see how pretty it looks. And the fact is the stock is up 73% from the September lows because they've been able to execute and deliver more planes and that sort of thing. I do not think this, this news changes the story. I do think it's going to change the free cash flow, unfortunately, because the, the, the 737 is 60% of free cash flow. It's about 30% of total revenue. So it's going to hurt a little bit, but it's a near-term issue. This is not a safety issue. This is not a grounding of planes issue. 
This is a supplier issue, and that's unfortunate, as I mentioned, but I think this is way overdone today, and I think people are just taking gains because it's had such a nice run right, and just does going. It, does it ground, pardon the pun, does it ground no. the stock? For no. a while? No, I don't think so. I mean, look, they had problems with the 787 earlier this year, and they fixed it within 15 days. So they could fix it. I'm not saying that they will, because this is going to deal with something like 100 planes or so, maybe even more. The fact that the company hasn't quantified it for us is, I think, the real reason why the stock is, is down so much. But look, I think this is going to set up for, for an opportunity. It's a duopoly with Airbus, and they have 4,000 planes in backlog. So they And we saw all the orders that they got this year, year to date, um, they're just crushing it on that front. So I think you got to stay patient. It's a volatile stock, but I do think this sets up for a buying opportunity. Once we get some clarification around how many planes this is going to be and what, what we can, then we can calculate what the free cash flow is. So, Josh, you have the ITA in which Boeing is the second largest holding within it. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's unfortunate, and it's like a little bit off uh, thematically. It's a little bit off of the reason why I'm in ITA. But the reality is it's less than a 2% drawdown with the biggest holding acting like this. And I actually agree with what Stephanie had to say. I don't think what uh, was announced today is really going to be a major issue or have a big impact. So if I weren't already invested here, I would probably use this dip to, uh, to, to buy or add to it. But you guys? You know, I don't own it. Uh, I, I, for this reason, sort of what headlines, and I missed the rally. And, and so I've been kind of watching for an opportunity. I would be a buyer 180 if it ever gets back down there. It's about 10% lower than here. I mean, just kind of that's, that's the spot. Jason? Yeah, for me, I, th- I think I agree with Bill here. I think the headline risk for me is just a challenge. So, you know, just I mean, hasn't been interesting. But you could say that for, from here to eternity. You're right. Oh, yeah. For, You're right. for Boeing. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is that a great reason not to own a stock like that? It's just not. Because the headline risk? No. And I think as it relates, and Josh mentioned this earlier, I think as on the ITA as a sector, I think some of the more defense names, you know, the Raytheons, the Lockheed Martins, those are the names I'd be more interested in this space over a bullet. I got you. All right. Coming up, tech taking a bit of a breather today. Bill trimming one big name in that space as well. We have the trade. We have the debate. We do it next. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Halftime. I'm Bertha Coombs. Here's our CNBC News update at this hour. France's Constitutional Council approved President Macron's controversial pension reform that would raise the legal retirement age from 62 to 64. Macron will likely sign the bill into law within 48 hours. French protesters have been demonstrating against a divisive policy for over a month now. The Justice Department charging 28 Mexican drug cartel leaders and members, including the son of former drug lord Joaquin El Chapo Guzman. This is part of the DEA's larger push to target the Sinaloa and Jalisco new generation cartels. The White House says it's also increasing cooperation with Mexico to combat the flow of fentanyl coming into the U.S. And President Biden wrapping up his trip to Ireland with a visit to the home of his ancestors. Biden is set to speak at the cathedral where his great-great-grandfather was baptized back in 1830. 
two. How exciting is that? Back to you, Scott. All right. All right, Bertha, thank you. That's Bertha Coombs. NASDAQ near the lows of the day. Uh, big debate, Bill Baruch, over what to do with some of these stocks that have had an absolutely amazing run year to date. I think NVIDIA is up like 80%, yeah. right? You trimmed it. Yeah. And, and you know what? You want to trim on strength. I, I like the, I want to be overweight things that are outperforming. And first, NVIDIA became about more than a 7% position in, in our equity bucket. And so it just, just, just to trim makes sense. But it also, relative to the price of the NASDAQ, had broken out to record highs. And it sort of started surrendering that. The other thing I'm looking at is semiconductors broadly have sort of been consolidating and they're not outperforming the NASDAQ anymore. Goldman Sachs research has said that hedge funds are short right now and they're underexposed to the market. That keeps me excited. That's why I'm still holding overweight tech. But, and they've also said that 90, over, 90, over the last five years, 92% of the time, the, uh, the hedge funds have held more semiconductors than they do now. That tells me that they're sort of defending the position right now. But if we start moving higher after earnings season, I see a capitulation and a massive short covering. So that's why I like it here. But I'm also being very cautious and starting to trim it. Josh, what do we do with tech? I know you own NVIDIA, and I'm not going to fault anybody. I know what, what you would say. <laughs> for taking some profits off a stock that's up 80% in a few months. I totally get it. But, you know, now, as you said at the top, you know, they're just the beginning of earnings season. We're going to really find out what the story is as, you know, these companies continue to cut costs. What do we think about tech here after the run we've had? So I think Bill is doing the right thing. If you're in NVIDIA as a trade or, or like a tactical uh, position, this stock has, has gotten very expensive. It is definitely far outrun any real change in fundamentals or even the outlook for this year. A lot of the excitement that's baked into that stock is like about the next five years, the next 10 years. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with having a huge outperformer and just making sure it doesn't get too big. Um, so that, that makes sense to me. Broadly speaking, though, on tech, they've had like every tailwind imaginable at their backs. Number one, they're high quality companies. Remember, we talked about that's what's in favor right now. Number two, tons of cash. They're not cyclicals. They don't need to go to the bank and borrow more money. Uh, number three, the NASDAQ had a 35% correction last year. Massive bear market. Um, it's unlikely that they need to do that twice, quite frankly, even if we are going to have an earnings uh, recession, et cetera. So like, you've had a lot of these benefits. Um, so the real question is, like, how much of that have you already gotten uh, as, a, as a shareholder this year. And unfortunately, you might have gotten most of that benefit already. So look, a VIX with a 17 handle is not where that's so that we're in a high VIX regime, but we're at the low end of that high VIX regime. 1718 is as low as it gets given this current regime. So this is not where you get all bulled up on tech. So I think tactically, it's probably a smarter decision to be looking for what you want to trim versus what do you want to like initiate new positions in. Yeah, I mean, it is unbelievable. Look at the VIX 17, uh, 17.7. Uh, Jason Snipe, Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, Microsoft, Netflix and NVIDIA. You trimming yeah. anything here? So I haven't yet, you know, and I, I think what Bill, what, what Bill made, the decision he made is obviously a prudent decision. I mean, a stock up 80% uh, within four months, not even four full months of the year is, 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 is something that we need to make happen. Are you uh, not being prudent? I mean, what do you, what do you mean? So Are it, you it thinking about it yourself? So it's something we trimmed it last summer. You know, so we're looking to likely trim again uh, this quarter. You know, but for me, as it relates to broadly, broadly tech, and, and Josh just alluded to this earlier, I mean, the, 
listen, the NAS is up almost 16% year to date. The NASDAQ 100 is up almost 20% in the first quarter. Um, these are great annual returns. You know, so I think as we look at the macro environment going forward, you know, is it prudent to, to invest in new positions in tech? I don't think so, not at this stage, given the macro backdrop and given where, where the Fed is. So that's really our position on it. All right, we'll take a quick break. Stephanie has another new move in her per- portfolio, excuse me, that we will talk about next. Grade my trade. Send us your latest stock move, and the investment committee will debate it and grade it. Email us at askhalftime at cnbc.com or tweet us, hashtag grade my trade. We're back. Stephanie Link, another new move. FCX, yeah. report Mac Moran. Why'd you buy it? Yeah, so um, I think that the supply demand for copper actually is pretty favorable. And if you think about onshoring, we've talked about that endlessly. We talk about China reopening and just the global growth actually being a little bit better than expected. And Freeport is very levered to it, right? For every 10% moving copper, that's 15% to EBITDA. Uh, I think these guys are very well positioned in terms of their balance sheet. They're, they're lowering their debt. They want their debt to get to 0.5 times net, uh, net debt to, uh, to EBITDA by the end of this year. Um, and I, I just think that at eight times EBITDA right now, the stock is pretty attractive. I bought this on Tuesday, and it's up 7% in a couple of days, so it's very volatile. Mm-hmm. I don't expect the quarter to be great on production because they've had some weather issues. So I started with a small position, and then into earnings, if it is weak and it's very volatile, I'll probably add to I it. I just wonder why take the risk in a name like this fed these are you know from from your words alone i mean fed still hiking yeah economy's definitely weakening it's weakening it is weakening. I mean, you look at me yeah, like that's no, no, not no, true. No, I'm just no, but the, the, the U.S. is, but China reopening is not weakening. Right, but actually. I mean, that's it, a big it, recovery story for yeah, them. Yeah, but I mean, you still say it's so levered to the price Co- of copper. Copper, and it's very hard to get copper, right? So the supply demand is actually pretty much in their a- favor. And. And the stock's up 12% year-to-date. Well, when I bought it, it was up 7% year-to-date. Even so, at eight times EBITDA, and so I feel very good about the EBITDA. 50% in six months. Even though, so, okay, so fine. But I think at eight times EBITDA, the, the, the stock is very attractive. And I think that, the, again, the supply, on the supply side, it's really hard to get copper. It's really hard to mine it, right? And, so, and the demand is still there for now. And, and even though the U.S. economy is, is weakening, we have this whole onshoring thing that actually is in their favor. You know, when you, build a, when you build a home and when you build things, you need copper, right? So to me, I think, again, I don't think the quarter is going to be great because of the production issues with regards to weather and that sort of thing. But I like the story. I like the concept. And I think I've been very consistent. I am more balanced this year. So for every P&G and Keurig Dr. Pepper that I'm buying, I'm offsetting that with an Ingersoll Rand and also with a Freeport McMoran. So to me, I'm just a little bit more balanced, and, and that's where I feel comfortable being. All right. Josh Brown, you own Newmont. Speaking of mining companies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this, this, is, this is because I think gold is on the verge of a, a, a fairly substantial breakout. I could be wrong on that. It is a commodity, and it's anyone's guess. Um, but it just seems as though the accumulation phase is like about to reach a fever pitch. I don't buy commodities. I don't trade futures. So my proxy for that is to buy the highest quality largest, most liquid name in the space. That's Newmont getting a nice uh, three and change percent dividend yield while I wait. And uh, I think it's a I think it's a well-managed business. So that's that's really why I'm, I'm in that name. Bill. Josh may not trade futures, but I, I, I do. I run a commodity fund. I run a, a metals fund and a global opportunities fund as well. I'm very bullish on copper. And, and I don't think we've seen the, the impact of the China reopening yet. 
on copper. They consume 50% of the world's copper. China New Loans data earlier this week was the second best in history behind January. They're, the reopening story is taking place. The public is now getting back into uh, the real world after three years of lockdown. Southern Copper Corp is also my buy list right now. Uh, they they have increased copper production 50% since 2021 and are expected to increase 70% uh, over the next eight years. So there's, I think this is a really, really great story. And I think you got to watch copper, keep a pulse on it. I don't think the economy is as bad as people are calling it for. And JP Morgan confirmed that today. Look, I mean, Larry Fink, I'm, the people who are saying, I mean, it doesn't have to be so binary. Yeah. It's not either, you know, no recession or, or recession. You can still have a slow, slower economy and not go into a recession, right? I mean, Larry Fink sat right here today and said, yeah, inflation's going to be sticky. He thinks the Fed's going to go more. He's still not looking for a recession this year either. If we get inflation data like we saw from the Michigan, Michigan uh, expectations today, because Powell has said that expectations of, of inflation are a self-fulfilling prophecy. Think about it for the most simple fact. If you know gasoline is going to be higher next week, you're going to go fill your tank up. So it's going to be a tailwind to inflation. That number concerned me today. And I spent the hour leading up to the show managing risk and cost my, Larry, my commodity portfolio. Larry Fink also talked about a trillion dollars in fiscal programs getting into the, into the economy that have not yet gotten into the economy. Right. And that's where the momentum has been. Right, all this stimulus. We have four trillion dollars more stimulus pre-pandemic in the in the economy as it stands. Now I know it's it's kind of waning waning off, but you have other things that are in its place. And so, yeah, maybe you could have a soft landing. I don't know. We don't know. We know we're slowing. We don't know what it means. But in the meantime, I like the copper story, and it's mainly because of the global side of the equation and onshoring here. Uh, all right, coming up, earnings season getting really into full swing next week. Your playbook with the top stocks you need to watch. We'll trade some of them ahead of those numbers and we'll do it next. All right, we got a big week of earnings next week. 10% of the S&P 500, along with six Dow components reporting. There is your wall. We're gonna go through, look at those big names, Stephanie Link, mm. uh, IBM, Lamb Research, SLB. You own all three. Yes. Where I are your expectations for, let's just say, IBM? which is down near 10% year to date. Yes, after being one of the best tech stocks last year. It may have been the best. Possibly, um, but it, it, was, it, was, it was good. Um, it's a value name, right? And value has actually underperformed growth year to date. I think the expectations are low. It's clearly, they have enterprise exposure, and that could be weak. But they also have Red Hat, and I think Red Hat continues to see strong momentum. So mid-teens on Red Hat is what I think the bogey is. But overall, I think they're going to continue to execute well. Uh, kind of a boring name, but really cheap with a good yield. What about Lamb Research? So, Lamb worries me a little bit because you're starting to hear wafer fab equipment numbers come down, right? We're from Micron and TSMC and all that sort of thing. But mm -hmm. I do think the expectations are really low. Um, I trimmed a little bit a couple of weeks ago. I think we talked about it on overtime at the time. Um, but uh, I still like it because I do think we are somewhere in, in the bottoming process of this inventory correction. We just got to get through kind of the next quarter or two. So, I, I have it. I like it. It's cheap. It's a little bit smaller of a position for me. Jason Snipe, Netflix on Tuesday after the bell. That really kicks off the first, obviously, of the, of the FANG reports. Yeah, for me, it's really looking at this ad, to, ad tier. Um, it looks like there are about a million uh, users now. Dail daily active users are up 10% in the month of March. So I'm really, but I'm, the real focus for me is password sharing. Let's see what happens there. That's going to be a real focus for me going forward. You know, and the, the ad tier just was released early, late last year. Let's see how the follow through has been. Bill Baruch, AT&T. Uh, reports next week as well. That's Thursday morning. Yeah, that was it. That, that's a stock I, we we actually really like as a ballast. I mean, obviously, it takes more more risks in other parts of the portfolio. Their 5G spending is moderating. 
they've been an unloved stock for quite a bit. And I think as as they start to, I think they'll beat with earnings over this year. And I think you'll start to see a lot of money flow into a stock like AT&T, especially with the yield that's still hanging up at 5.6%, I believe it is, or above 5%. What about SLB, Stephanie you, Link? You and, you and Bill both, both have it. I want oh. Steph's take on it first. The former Schlumberger. Um, I like it a lot. I want to make it even bigger. Didn't than you it buy is. more recently? Yes. You I did, did, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I just keep on buying it on these sloppy days because it is a little bit has a little bit of beta to it. Crude think, 82 and a half. Yeah, I mean, look, they're they're gonna. I think the quarter's gonna be very good, it's, and it is really about the technology and the digital initiatives that they have put in place that give them pricing power, um, and that gives them their customers their the efficiencies and productivities, and, and I think that's very underappreciated. And we're at the inflection point, I believe, of international now starting to do very well, and we know they have a big chunk of their revenues tied to international, so that's what I'm gonna be watching for. Yeah, you made the point with international and. Having the international exposure gets you a little more offshore exposure, which is a longer cycle and, and more sticky income. It is a little premium to Halliburton, but but we like it. Uh, SLB was one of the best performers over the last two weeks after that crude news, after crude gap, crude gap tire, and I want to see that happen. That's what you're paying for with that little bit of a premium. Jason Snipe, Amex, reports next week as well on Thursday. Yeah, volumes were good last last uh, quarter for Amex, you know, up around 17%. I think for me, as it relates to cross-border travel, that's a big deal. You know, obviously those guardrails have come down. I expect some follow-through in the report this quarter. P&G also next week, Friday P&G, morning. Yeah, P&G for me, organic sales, 4 to 6%. Let's see what happens as the dollar has pulled back some. You know, they have a lot of business overseas. I think that will that will also be some follow-through there. As Got well. a take on P&G? I think it's going to be a good one. I think they have pricing power. I think the volumes, according to Nielsen data, the volume should be actually okay. Uh, they've just got the premier brands and marketing, and they're taking market share. So I like that one. They just raised the dividend this week, too. All right, we take a quick break. We come back. Grade my trade is next. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. All right, it's time for Grade My Trade. Stephanie Link, you are up first from Allen. Bought GE at $80.72. It is 1.75% of my portfolio. Do I trim? Do it. Do I trim it due to it being at an average price or hold? Um, I would not trim it. I would look to buy on weakness. This is a story that has gotten more simple with the spin-outs of health, GE Healthcare, which has been a, a phenomenal performer as well. But next year, they're going to spin out the renewables business. And then it gets even more simple. And then it'll be a pure play aviation story. And I think aviation is a secular growth uh, a, a story. And I think that they are, with, uh, um, they are actually providing the engines to Airbus and Boeing. And so they've got great customers, and they have also have a phenomenal management team. So I like it. I would look to buy on any weakness. All right. So. Jason Snipe, Charlie in Scotland, bought PayPal at 81 bucks, which you own. We haven't talked about that stock, by the way, in, in a while. It's up 7% year to date. Over a year, down 25.5%. I mean, the payment space has been big time in question. Without a doubt. So, and as you mentioned, you, you talk about the performance. So, for me, as as it relates to PayPal, the multiple has come in dramatically. It's only trading at 15 times now. I remember, it was at 60 times through the pandemic. Uh, Elliott's been in there for some time. They're really focusing on cost cutting and also optimization of the existing base and transactions per customer. So, I like this name here. You know, it's it's trading at $75 roughly. I do think there's some opportunity with this secular shift to digital payments. And, you know, it's 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 pulled back some of this, you know, over the last year or so. But I, I do believe there's long-term trends here, and I, that's why I like the stock. All right, Bill. Don in Connecticut. I own Marvell 
at $46.63. Should I hold or take my losses and move on? We own this name. Um, we, I like to, I like to say, hold on to it for now. Now, the reason we we like looking at it is our smallest exposure in the semiconductor space, and it was sort of a, a reach for value within that space itself. It's underperformed the semiconductors. Um, it's, it was also a good way to get a little exposure to China. Uh, I think 37% of the revenues is, is from China, and it's a little bit of a smaller multiple than the names like an Nvidia. Now, I, I think that if it can hold the mid 30s from a technical basis, then I, I do believe that we'll see this thing uh, be able to, to rally a bit, and it has a place within a portfolio at a right, right, right size. All right. We will come right back with final trades next. All right. There's your market picture now. We let's call it lows of the day. Thereabouts. Dow down about 280. Big drag, obviously, today from United Health and Boeing. JP Morgan is certainly a standout. We said the best earnings pop in some 20 years for JPM. But you do have concerns, inflation expectations uh, still high over one year, according to you, Mish. Consumer uh, sentiment was a little bit of a beat. You still have Fed speakers. And by the way, voting members talking about not being done as well. Uh, that was Fed Governor Waller was one of them on the tape talking about just that. And then we look ahead to what's next week with a very, very busy week. So, Josh, set the table for me before we do finals and be quick, if you would. Uh, what you're going to be watching today into the close? Uh, I, I think it's really important that the stocks that have been holding up can stay up. Uh, I know that sounds uh, obvious, but sometimes it's the simplest things. So what you really don't want to see is intraday reversals of the leadership names. And uh, right now, even with a weak tape, we're, we're, we're still seeing that strength. Mm, gotcha. Give me a final trade quick, too, please. Uh, Carlisle Group, earnings coming up with a new CEO for the first time. Okay, good stuff. Thank you, Steph. Estee Lauder after LVMH's amazing quarter. Yeah. You gotta you gotta like Estee Lauder's chances for a good quarter next week. All right, Bill Baruch. Alphabet to Josh's points, hanging up pretty good in a sea of red. Google Cloud be profitable and YouTube shorts could be a juggernaut. Jason Snipe. Goldman Sachs trading at one time's book over three percent dividend yield. I like this stock here. All right, good stuff. We've got Dan Greenhouse, Brent Talkington, Kevin Simpson coming up a couple hours time on closing bell we'll see how the rest of the afternoon goes into the close i will see you then you've been listening to cnbc's halftime report the podcast you can always catch us live weekdays at 12 eastern only on cnbc hi i'm cindy lopper my scalp was covered with psoriasis which could lead to psoriatic arthritis but cosentix treats both Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis, 300 milligram dose, and adults with active psoriatic arthritis, 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix.